You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. We close out the year at Feral Attraction with journaling and self-reflection. We're going to first reflect on our own year before we discuss how journaling and self-reflection can boost your productivity and emotional intelligence. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. So this is our last episode of the year. Um, Indeed it is. And I guess a few housekeeping notes even before we get into anything further. We will be taking the next two weeks off. We have conventions, um, vacations, and other events that are going on that we unfortunately cannot schedule time to record and edit a show. Um, And as you've all probably noticed as well, those of us uh, who are seriously paying attention to our episode count, we'll see that we are inching towards episode number 100 as well. So we're kind of got some skunk works projects going on in the background, some site updates and other things that we're working on. So we're taking a little bit of time off to kind of optimize things in the background. And we hope to present a fuller and more enjoyable feral attraction experience for all of you in the new year. It's also, to be quite honest, with the exception of having to take a week off here or there, we haven't had really a lot of time for us to relax it's doing the show is i wouldn't call a herculean effort but it (laughs) does require a lot of time and energy for us to research write the shows to record the shows to edit the shows to write the articles it's 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 we could use a little bit of time starting off the new year to sort of relax to recover from the hellscape that was 2017 and to start off fresh with a fresh you know it's a fresh season it's season three of feral attraction and that's true yep so we'll have a great new season in the new year and we'll bring you a lot of new content look forward to that uh we've got a lot of conventions coming up in the new year as well I hope to be uh, actually expanding my convention attendance in, the, in this year. Last year, because I moved, I, my convention attendance went down a little bit. I'm kind of bouncing back up with a bit more travel to uh, hopefully catch some of the people who we haven't seen in previous years with our panels. So we, we may be presenting a panel. It's currently in the works for uh, Texas Furry Fiesta. We have things planned for First Squared. Uh, so look look for us there, and hopefully you'll be, you'll be seeing more stuff from us in the new year as well. Right. And... Before we get into the show, it's this is going to be less of one of our traditional shows. We don't really have a question. We don't really have a next topic because this is the end of the season. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a cliffhanger. Oh, no, what are they going to talk about next? But we did want to start with sort of, you know, thinking about 2017 and reflecting on it a bit because in a yeah, most people like new recaps and that kind of retrospectives at this time of year. So we're kind of joining the crowd. We're going to put our own spin on it, feral traction style <laughs> and tell you how to kind of do this in a best practices kind of way. Right. In a sense, it's, um, you know, 
Feral Attraction, when we we started this project now two years ago, um, our first year, we wanted to focus on the basics, how to focus on yourself, how to improve yourself, how to make you the best you that is possible. And it, it was really a learning project that, that we learned as we went. We made some mistakes, we made changes, and we found a formula that works for us and one that we continue to use. Uh, 2017, um, we decided to change the, the focus of the show a little bit and move it into how to be the best at how, how to make your relationship as positive as you can. And a lot of the topics that we focused on throughout this year have been on how to ensure that everything is happy with your relationship, how to ensure that the rules and the you know policies that you have in play for your relationship can be upheld in the best way possible. And along the way, we've made you know mistakes along the way here too it's um some of them have been pointed out to us some people have felt that you know in in some episodes it seems like there were technical issues um, and a lot of them vero as we've mentioned was globe trotting too much travel in some ways yes we, we had you know one one episode we recorded on computers and also spoke to each other over the phone in order to make it happen. I mean, we, we've we've done a lot of things this year that maybe were not best practice uh, in terms of how to record a podcast. But I would like to think that this year was was good for us because we managed to to put out you know quality content regardless of the circumstance. Yeah, and so you kind of kind of focused us on the content in a way because we, we really try to put everything behind getting the show out no matter what. And I think maybe that showed the passion of put, you know, the content, what we wanted to share with everyone is kind of what shines through. And people have really responded to our passion and, and trying to help uh, and other people. And we've gotten a lot of wonderful, wonderful feedback from a lot of fans who felt helped by a lot of our shows. And it's been kind of amazing to reap the psychic rewards of putting the stuff out there. And really we want to thank all of you for keeping us going and keeping us producing this content despite kind of the rough years mm -hmm. that we've individually had in some ways because uh no matter what's been going on rough in our personal lives we've always kind of tried to put this show out there because we know how much it helps people and knowing that it actually does help people is what keeps us doing that so thank you so much for all that positive feedback it's not really an ego thing it's just kind of like a motivational thing it's really great to hear that we're actually helping people because if we thought we were shouting into a vacuum eventually we'd probably stop <laughs> essentially yes um and when, when, when we think about years, you know, when, when, when we do a self-review of 2017, there's a tendency for us to sort of focus on the negative and to give that an unfair platform. A lot of things really negative happened in 2017 to, to everybody. Um, in my life, I had a lot of really rough moments and... Vero, I'm sure you could say the same, mm -hmm. but I think that it's important that rather than focusing on what went wrong, we can look at it in a more healthy fashion. Things go wrong for any reason. It's life is 
really just a series of decisions that once we make that one decision, a new series of decisions sort of come to play. And I feel that it's important that we look at the decisions that we've made and how they've impacted our lives and what we liked about the impact, what we didn't like about the impact, and what we can do to change our decision-making moving forward. And I think it's also important, I think, to look at the emotional impact of the things that we do. And I think for this episode, we're kind of going to play off of each other a bit. So Metric is going to talk more about kind of the logos and ethos behind some of the decisions that we make and how reflecting on those can improve our lives going forward. And my focus is going to be a bit more on the pathos of kind of the emotional intelligence side of things, of how can reflecting on our actions and reflecting on our year that's gone by improve our view of ourselves, our self-esteem going forward, maybe also improve the smoothness of our interactions with others socially going forward, making us more self-actualized versions of ourselves who feel like the effects they have in the world are more in line with the effects that they set out to achieve. So that tends to create a lot of lasting joy in people's lives. And ultimately, what I feel is the truest source of happiness. So (laughs) that's kind of my angle. (laughs) Whereas... My angle, as always, tends to be you want to put your best foot forward. And the best way to enable you to have a good mindset, to have positive interactions with others, is to take stock in yourself first and to sort of clear up the, the mental you know, cobwebs that, that clutter up your space uh, I'm not one myself to make New Year's resolutions because I feel that that's a little bit um, that that those are too easy to be broken. I'll be honest. It's everybody makes a New Year's resolution. And the big joke is that nobody ever follows through on it. But I do take stock at the end of every year and things that worked and things that didn't work. And my resolution is the same on the 1st of January as it is every other day of the year. And It's to continue to take stock into what I'm doing and to ensure that it is beneficial to myself and those around me. And if it's not, question why I'm doing it. And it's there's a lot of self-awareness that comes into play with that. And for some people, they're not quite at this stage where they're able to do that. Um, You might not have as much freedom as I do. You might be in school, you might be younger, you might have other obligations um, that that don't enable you to maneuver perhaps as rapidly as I would be able to. And I think that it's important before you make any resolution for 2018, you, you take stock into who you are as a person. What is your lot at the start of 2018? And where do you want to be at the end of 2018? And from there, you don't make resolutions. You make action plans. Because resolutions are nothing if you lack resolve. But everybody can have action. Everybody can take steps. Resolutions tend to be so grand. Whereas if you break it down into minor actions, you'll find that it's much easier to make something happen in your life. And that's that kind of leads into what I'm going to talk about. As Vero said, um, I talk more about the, the 
ideas and rationale behind why we do things and how we can do things better. Another way to frame it might be that Metrico is going to focus more on improving the self and I'm going to focus more on improving relationships through reflection. That might be another kind of way of framing Which it. Which is a good way of framing it. It's important to note though, and I just kind of want to point this out, what we're going to be discussing, both Vera and I, these are not mutually exclusive things, nor should they be. I will say that generally you want to try to do these side by side. When you improve yourself, you find that you tend to improve your relations with other people. So it's important to not focus on just the one. And the way that we, uh, well, I don't want to say we, the way that I do things, um, I am a bit old school. I, I keep an actual physical journal. I don't use... And I used to. I don't anymore, but I used to. I don't use the internet. I don't use an app. It is pen and paper, and I physically do this. It is a manual process. And I've been following for years um, the idea of uh, bullet journaling, which is something that I was doing before I realized it was actually a thing which is kind of nice. And I've been able to incorporate a lot of the techniques that people who do bullet journaling do. If you've never heard of the term bullet journaling or bujo, as some people call it, but I really despise that because it sounds like very, oh, God. Yeah, I know. Horrible. Oh my God, it's the worst. But oh no. I but not know about that. If you search that term, you find a whole bunch of Instagram and Pinterest pages where people are making these elaborate designs. And that's not for me. Hey, Metrico, I've got to go Bujo before I can go to sleep. Oh, like, no. Oh, no. No. <laughs> you no, never thank- say that. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, you know, it's guillotine me before that happens, please. <laughs> so, bullet journal. Yeah. For me, bullet journaling, it, it reduces down to, it works for everybody, I think, but mostly it's for people who want to keep a granular, truncated list of tasks, appointments, and thoughts in order. And by that, What I mean is it takes a narrative kind of journal, diary, and planner, and it reduces it to single bullet points. That's the name, bullet journal. Uh, It's not a scrapbook. Um, Again, people get really artsy-fartsy and make elaborate designs. And if you want to do that, then okay, work. But at its core, it is a list of information about you. And that might seem a little bit strange to do. It's essentially a to-do list. But why would you keep it in sort of this weird month, year, day, week sort of approach where things just seem to get repetitious? So I'll explain that, but but to kind of give a little bit more of an overview as to what it is. Um, so... People who hear about bullet journaling tend to say, well, just get a fucking day planner, you idiot. Like, there's no reason to, to rework the wheel. Uh, I don't like day planners because day planners are prefabricated. I don't like things that are essentially set in stone because some days I don't have anything going on. Other days I have too much going on. I work a completely different schedule than most other people. Um, my day is not, my work week is not a Monday through Friday. It is a Sunday through Thursday. And in most day planners, Sunday is really fucking small. 
It's kind of a design oversight, isn't it? Yeah, it really that, is. That, moment, that made for the clergy, is it? Is, is that metric? Yeah, right? no. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, screw the monastery. Like, you did nothing on Sundays, right? No, it, it's it's for me, I like, I like my style of journaling because I get a blank book. I get a just a blank notebook. Um, I get one that has dots in a grid. Um, almost like grid lined paper, except it's just the dots at the inter, uh, intersections. And from there, I'm able to make each day last as long as possible because I'm doing it in real time. And I set mine up in a way that allows for me to look at a year at a glance. And that's things like major holidays, birthdays, vacations, you know, major events that I know that are coming up ahead of time. And then from the year, I go to a uh, quarterly log. Um, I actually do six months at a time. And I look at a more granular level. So what are major events? Again, then also, what are things specific to that month that I would need to accomplish? So, for example, in January, I'm going to a conference. So I would mark it down there. What do I need to do in order to get it done? And also import reminders for that month interviews, doctor's appointments. But that's not specific enough. You break it down to a weekly that includes all of the above, but then also smaller tasks, things like laundry and the gym. It helps you keep your week planned. And then you go to the, you know, most, you know, the the smallest, which is a daily. There it's, you know, what major events are happening today? What do I need to remind myself of? Is it somebody's birthday? Okay, what am I supposed to be doing today? Do I need to do the gym? Do I need to go do laundry? Do I need to go shopping for something? Do I have an appointment today? What then do I want to do today? Do I want to see a movie? Do I want to go buy a book? What do I want to do? And then general notes as well. Something that caught my eye. Hey, I saw this thing. I don't want to forget about it. Somebody said something really funny. I want to jot it down so I can remember it. And that's it. And it sounds really stupid. I know. know. Like, it sounds like this really just repetitious bullshit. Like, I'm writing mantras down in a a journal. Uh, It's slightly a little bit more involved than that, I would say. I'm not just writing Hare Krishna like a thousand times over and over. What I'm doing is I'm identifying the important things that matter to me and then identifying how important they are to me. It's important that we ask ourselves, what are our needs and what are our wants? And if we can't differentiate between the two, things start to get muddled. So with me, and I'll speak a little bit for Vero too, but I'm, I'm using my own life as an example in this. I have a lot going on. I will second that. That's fair. <laughs> I have this show that I'm doing. I have another project that I'm working on. I have a second project that I'm working on. I have a full-time job that I do. And I also have other commitments to my house, to my friends, and to other people that are in my life. And 
it's a lot to keep track of. It really is. And in my life, I have to budget time to hours. I don't have a lot of wiggle room. I don't have a lot of time where I can faff around. When things get thrown out of order, I have to readjust and migrate my current plans to ensure that I have enough time budgeted. It's kind of like I treat time as currency. And I have to take away or move other expenditures of my time in order to compensate for when things don't go according to plan. So for me, having a one, you know, uh, one location where everything is not Google calendars and then my work calendar and then a planner that's on the wall and then a calendar on the fridge, having it in one location, it helps me to check throughout. It's like a, it's a roadmap for me. It lets me know which direction that I'm going, what I need to do to get there and what I can do to avoid distractions and also to avoid the map getting warped and me losing my way entirely. I think that's a really cool way of approaching it. I, I started doing this in college when I worked two jobs, had a full course load, and had all sorts of other things going on. I needed to keep, make sure that I budgeted enough time for me to maintain my financial obligations, my scholastic obligations, and my social obligations, because otherwise... You just, I mean, I'm, I'm very prone to just wanting to sit at home and just binge watch Netflix. Um, like, uh, if, I, if I get overwhelmed, I shut down. It's understandable. I think for myself, I wasn't really familiar with this bullet journaling approach in a formal way when I was in college. But the thing that I was exposed to and that I got pretty passionate about, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Metrico, but uh, you probably are. David Allen's Getting Things Done uh, yeah. methodology is kind of big for me. And so that's kind of the approach that I still use is I, I use a getting things done type uh, to-do list for my task management and kind of those little niggling things. And then I use um, I use it like this notes to keep track of everything else like Evernote to, as kind of as my catch-all for everything else. But that's kind of my own personal way of doing it. And it's worked for a long time for me. But I feel like this is having everything in one place totally has its advantages. Now, my question, though, do you, does anyone, you know, uh, actually apply the getting things done methodology within bullet journaling? Is that something you think is compatible? Because I feel like that's fairly, fairly common. I, I do. Um, I feel that systems are always going to be compatible. It's for anything that applies to you progressively working on your life in order to be productive, in order to be self-realized there. It's, it's not that with bullet journaling, it's just kind of a framework. It's up to you to build upon it. Um, there, there are modules that you can, because it's not prefabricated essentially. So if the getting things done works for you, you can find ways to implement it because there is no wrong way to do it. If that makes sense, it's, as long as what works for you works, it's good. It's a very pragmatic approach to life management. Um, the reason that I like it is because it makes me kind of second guess some of the things that I put down. So, for example, if I have today, it's I had something that I needed to get done. I'm not going to be able to get to it. So I have to migrate that to tomorrow. And that's fine. But because this is a manual, I handwrite everything. 
I have to take the effort to write it down again. I have to ask myself, is it worth the effort of rewriting? If that answer is no, then the question then is, why am I doing it? If I can't take the five seconds to write it down again, why am I taking the effort to do it at all? There are notations that you can use. I've gone through some of the more common ones in our show notes. People use caret symbols and circles and X's to denote whether something was done, whether you've scheduled it like an appointment or plane tickets, whether you've moved it or migrated it, or if you've just canceled it altogether. I find that this works for me at a glance because I can see what have I done? What do I need to do? What do I not need to do? And then from there, you can build onto it. Um, Like I was just mentioning, there are different sorts of things that you can put in there. Some things that I have in mind. Um, I have budgeting and I keep it very, very tight, not just on time, but on money because time is money and money is fucking tight. So it lets me keep track of how much I need to save for, for example, AGDQ, which I'm going to in a week and a half for rent to pay off bills, to put into savings. And I can keep little graphs and charts to make sure that I'm keeping to my goals. And that works out really well for me because it's something that just at a glance, I can open my book. Okay, there it is. No app required, no internet needed. There it is. I keep track of how much I spend going out to eat, how much I, like a standard budget. But it allows me to look at it in a closer way. And I can see how I'm spending my time and money together and how they influence each other when when they go hand in hand. Um, I also keep a health tracker because I'm going to the gym and I want to make sure that I'm doing that. What exercises am I doing? You know, things of that nature. A lot of people that I know, and this is something that I've started doing in recent months, are things like, what is your emotional state for the day? They keep a tracker and they see... How, how did they feel that day? At the end of every day, they, re- they look back. And they can start to see general trends. And that can help them to sort of make decisions that better their lives and their emotional state. So I always recommend that these are done in analog and not in digital because of the reasons that I've explained. Writing it and taking the effort to handwrite it is kind of the point. <laughs> I totally get that, Metrico. Uh, my concern, why I've always kind of lately have shied away from doing analog stuff is I have a lot of anxiety about losing my day planners. Because mm. like, if I lose that book, I feel like my life is kind of over because it's such an important document that has like mm-hmm. basically my, my life in it. Uh, is there any like analog, do you actually like recopy it like to back it up on a, any kind of regular basis? How do you handle the issue of like, what if I lose my journal? So it's not something that I bring about with me. Like I don't take it to work or out shopping or to the gym. Um, what I do is I actually have a smaller book that I bring around with me and for important things that I see or realize I'll mark it down in there. Some people use post-it notes and then I'll consolidate at the end of the day. 
So you do like field notes and then you consolidate your field notes with your journal and at the end of the day. Exactly. So it's more like a, you have to worry about like your house burning down. It's really the issue at that point. It, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 um, I, I, I do use things like Google calendars and I consolidate off of that. Um, I use my iPhone a lot to sort of consolidate um, if I don't have my, if I'm, if it's not handy, for example, like if I forgot it in my hotel room, if I'm out and about at a convention. So that way I can consolidate things um, to make sure that I'm on the same page all the time. Um, it's it's luckily there's not that risk of misplacing it because I mean it's it's right here on my desk, so it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, if I'm on a longer trip, I will take it, but that's more just to make sure that I have everything in check. Um, Mm-hmm. But if it's like an overnight or a two, three thing, now that can stay home. <laughs> it's gotcha. it's probably, sense. yeah, it's going to be okay. So kind of the big question that people ask me, because I've, I've spoken about this with my roommates. They think that I'm a nut. They think that this is a cult. Um, I promise you it's not. Um, like, That's what all cultists say, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Warning you, everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's totally not a cult. It's totally legit. Um. So why do I do this? Um, why is this good for me? And as I was talking about in the top of the show when we were doing reflections, I, I view life as a series of decisions and each decision ripples and it impacts the next series of decisions. It's kind of like a tree or a branch. Every time you make a choice, new choices then appear. And... I find that if I don't organize my life and my mind in a proper way, I don't live in an intentional fashion. I'm just living by the seat of my pants. And I went through that in my life and it was unpleasant. And I made a lot of really shitty, stupid decisions that I, you know, if I could go back in time and change, I would, but I can't. So the best thing for me to do is to live as intentionally as I can now. So intentionality is really important in everything that you do, I think. And in journaling, it's no exception. It's funny because if you try to keep a mental list of everything you have to do in a day, your focus just gets pulled in every which direction today. That's kind of key. That's key to David Allen's getting things done methodology too. His whole idea that remembering to do things takes mental capital. You don't want to waste on little things like remembering to do little shit. You want to write that stuff down. So you free your brain up to have bigger ideas, right? If your brain is so obsessed with all these little things you have to remember, it's really hard to take time to just let your brain kind of wander and, and form new connections and and think about the bigger ideas that let you move you forward in life. Yeah. If you spend all of your time focused on the trees, you'll never see the, the dimensions of the forest and you won't really know which direction to go, right? Exactly. It's There's this idea of being functionally overwhelmed where it's like you're living with ADHD. ADHD isn't you can't focus because you can't focus. It's you can't focus because you're focusing on too much at too one at, at, at that same time. So when I make a mental catalog of things, I tend to fall into that category because I have so much going on, both major things and minor things, and things get shuffled off and I don't ever remember to do them. Um, I forget to send emails that I need to. I forget to check things that I need to. I forget to pay bills. And these things pile up over time. And 
if you don't kind of stay on top of everything, it, it makes you sort of living in the least functional way imaginable. You can function that way, but it's not optimal. It is not a self-actualized existence. You are moving, if you're anything like I was, from one disaster to another and just praying that this isn't the one that explodes in your face. One of the issues, nothing you do feels fundamentally satisfying when you're not doing it for a reason, right? That's kind of part of the problem. Exactly. There's emptiness behind everything you do and there's no reason behind it. Mm -hmm. It's you're just doing it because, well, I guess I need to do this. I don't know why I'm doing this. It lacks. Or I'm doing it because I'm bored. That's not a great reason. Yeah, exactly. It lacks purpose. So I found that through journaling in this fashion, um, I declutter my mind. It's I'm able to, rather than keeping a mental catalog, I keep a physical catalog and it clears my mind of a lot of stress and anxiety because I know where everything is. It's right here in my book and I'm very good about making sure it's in my book and it helps me to make the most rational decisions possible. I don't have to worry about double booking myself. I don't have to worry about forgetting to go to an appointment where I'm able to keep track of everything to make the best possible decisions. When, when, When I keep a mental catalog, when my mind gets cluttered, I end up avoiding making decisions out of anxiety. Because at the end of the day, it's about trusting yourself, right? Then trusting yourself avoids so much anxiety. Exactly. And this is the best way for me to to build trust in myself, because I know that this is something that I can trust myself to do. I can't trust myself to remember everything. Um, It's impossible for me to, because I'm I'm not that great of a mentalist. (laughs) Um, So... I found that I would end up sort of avoiding to make decisions because I knew that when I made a decision, I would have something new pop up and I was already overwhelmed and it was like a drowning person grasping at water, trying to, you know, find air. I, I couldn't do it. I was in a state of perpetual drowning. So it just was and suboptimal way for me to barely keep afloat. And so this became kind of my life raft. Um, if that sort of makes sense, I know that I'm mixing analogies, but, <laughs> but which you should never do. So what I do is I ask myself and what I put is what I'm putting in this, in my, my journal honest. And I ask myself very honestly, Is this something that I absolutely need to do? Is this something that I just should do? Or is this something that I really want to do? And it's important to have these three ideas in mind. Your needs are needs. You have to do certain things. You need to eat. You need to shower. You need to pay your bills. Go to school. Go to work. Things of that. Things you should do. You should probably keep a clean house. You should probably, you know, things, things of that nature. And then what do I, I really just want to watch Netflix. But if I just do what I want, I don't get to what I should or what I need. And so it allows for me to create mental space when I ask myself these questions honestly. 
to, to find my daily direction, to find my daily purpose. Okay, what are the major things today that I need to focus on? Okay, so I know that it's somebody's birthday, so I should probably shoot them a note, happy birthday, whatever. I know that I have an appointment, so I need to schedule time for that. I know I have work, so I need to make sure that that's there. I have to record a show, and I should probably sleep. Everything on top of that, I can then budget time for. And it helps me to find that general direction, a flow to the day that keeps peace and avoids discordance. And for me, you know, I'm a fairly digital person. I have a lot of gadgets. I have a computer. I have a tablet. I have a Nintendo Switch. I, I'm a gadgety person. What I found me is... Too. <laughs> he says surrounded by computers yeah. not quite as bad as paradox but i can give him run for his money my studio doesn't my studio is almost as hot that's <laughs> <Yeah>, true <laughs> but for me i found that taking it from a digital way because i kept a digital calendar and and planner for years and it just never felt real i found that by keeping it in a physical analog way it made things feel more tangible and because I have to write, I have very bad handwriting, uh, awful handwriting, and I dislike writing. I, I absolutely hate it. So I found that by doing that and by taking an action that I hate and using it to my advantage, I really questioned whether or not what I wanted to write really fucking mattered or not. <laughs> do I really want to do this? No? Okay. Or... The opposite side to this, are my wants keeping me hostage and not letting me do what I actually need or should or want do? And we find ourselves in this sort of weird situation where, again, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know why we're doing what we're doing if we don't take mental stock. And then for me, I translate that mental stock into physical stock. When we just go through the motions, we're being held hostage by a life without purpose. And when we do that, we're not improving ourselves. We're not improving our lives. We're not enriching the lives of other people. We're not stable. We're barely functional. I ask myself two questions to everything that I do. Is what I'm doing useful? And is what I'm doing heartful? And when I say useful, I mean it keeps me alive. It keeps me healthy. It keeps me maintained. Ever pragmatic, Panda. When I say heartful, does it matter to me? Does it matter to the people in my life? And does it do good? Are my actions useful and heartful? If the answer is no, why am I doing it? It's a lovely combination of pragmatism and stoicism, Panda. It's how I live my life. It's, again, I am a hardcore pragmatic stoic. And I kind of do that in a brutalist approach to my journaling. And I ask myself these brutal questions. When I ask myself that, 
I'm able to take stock in an honest way and identify the clutter and the shit that I'm keeping myself hostage with and rid myself of it. I'm able to spring clean my own schedule on a very regular basis. Now, you keep this in a bullet point. By doing that, it's clear. You don't have to read an essay to figure out what it is that you're doing. It's not a recipe book. Go to the, you know, I need to go to the doctor. Doctor's appointment, time. Somebody's birthday. Things of that nature. Bullet point necessity. You keep it clear, you keep it succinct, and you keep it to the point. And that way, you're able to create real, reasonable, and attainable goals. Essentially, you're not painting a portrait. You're not, you're, you're, like I was saying earlier, a lot of people have these really lofty sort of goals, resolutions for the new year. I'm going to lose weight. Well, that's great. How? Bullet journaling is the how. You truncate everything to a bite size. It is an action guide to how you're going to achieve your goals. You're not doing the impossible. You're doing step-by-step what you never thought you could. And this is how you stay you know, not overwhelmed, not even whelmed, <laughs> you stay in control. Indeed. It's, I, I like to think about it like writing a book. A lot of people want to write a book, but when you think about writing a book in a kind of grand scale, it's fucking hard. For me, bu- true. For me bullet journaling is I need to write a chapter. That's a lot easier. That's not, that's not, you know, step one, draw a circle. Step two, draw another circle. Step three, draw the rest of the fucking owl. Like engineers call this concept chunking, and David Allen has a concept for it too, which is breaking tasks down into their smallest actionable piece. Mm-hmm. And it's really important because as everyone knows about, about who studies motivation, uh, the key thing in motivational science is knowing that the things humans are bad at is starting things. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to break them down into the smallest possible piece because you make it small, it sounds much more manageable. And then starting isn't quite so scary. And you find once you start on tasks, the projects start kind of doing themselves mm-hmm. because flowing is much easier. It's kind of like Newton's laws apply to doing things, right? Once an object in motion stays in motion, yes. an object at rest remains at rest. So if you want to not be at rest anymore, you have to give yourself a very easy little push and that means making the task manageable, right? Exactly. And that, and that's precisely what I do. It's my goal is to ensure that I give myself the gentle kicks in the ass that I need to get myself out of the door. Because again, it's it's I'm very prone to to just kind of remaining in a state of entropy. Like very I very prone to remaining prone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One hundred percent. Such a panda. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I'm I'm a red panda for a reason because I'm lazy. If I could, I would just relax as much as I could. You know, lazy is a bad word. We should just say demotivated because that's what we mean when we say lazy, right? One hundred. Lazy is a very negative word. It really just means demotivated. Yeah. 
I need to do my best to keep myself motivated. And I know the tricks that work for me. I like to check off boxes. I like, I, I like the physical motion of checking a box as complete. I, I don't know what it is. I, it, it triggers some kind of an animalistic inner portion of my brain. That's just like, yes, I did something. I did the thing. And it sounds kind of like I'm in kindergarten and I need to have a checklist on the wall and I need gold stars. Uh, we're all in kindergarten. It's fine. It's, you know, if you need that analogy, that's fine. I'm more than happy to, to put myself in that position. I put it in a different way. I'm prone to anxiety, especially if I don't know what's coming up. I like to know what's ahead. I like to be able to mitigate I like to be able to foresee what the windfall is going to be. And the best way for me to be able to plan for good and for bad is to keep a very careful inventory of my life. Our day-to-day tasks are really just nothing more, as I said, than a map. And as we journey throughout each day and each month and each year, we keep updating the map. When we allow distractions, we allow distortions, we allow unplanned things that we don't know what's going on. When we lose our way, we get lost and the map is inaccurate. It becomes distorted. We lose our course when that happens. We become lost. I've said it many times on the show, and I'll say it one more time for the year. Seneca has a great saying about this. If one does not know to which port they are sailing, no wind is favorable. That kind of addresses that emptiness that I talked about earlier, right? Where when you don't have any reason for what you're doing, every action you take feels kind of empty because you don't know if it's beneficial if there's no plan behind anything you're doing. If there's no, at least, moral compass or anything guiding you whatsoever, then what you're doing is just spinning your wheels and you're not going to feel like you're going anywhere. And that's ultimately not going to be very satisfying for you. My primary source of joy is when feeling like I'm making progress towards my goals, whether those are personal goals, professional goals, interpersonal goals, relationship goals, whatever my goals might be. I want to feel like I'm making progress towards them or I don't feel like my life is very satisfying. I agree. And, and that's why for me, this style of journaling has, sort of been the most beneficial for me because I'm less prone to being caught by surprise. I'm less prone to screwing myself. I don't have a safety net if I fail. I don't necessarily have people there to catch me if I fall. I don't have a lot of resources available to me that other people sometimes take for granted. And because of that, life is kind of a scary place. So I try to arm myself as best possible to make sure that my goals are being met, my needs are being met, my wants are being met, to make sure that I am living the most fulfilled, self-actualized version of me that I'm able to. Prior to doing this, and I've spoken about this on the show, I was kind of an angry asshole to a lot of people. And a lot of that was projection because I was so hurt by, you know, a lot of things that have been done to me um, from my family, from my peers. And I felt incredibly isolated. 
And I realized that in time, it wasn't the isolation that was really upsetting me. It was the lack of purpose, the lack of direction. I had great ideas and great expectations to borrow, you know, a, a, an amazing book title that I <laughs> wish I could steal. I fucking love it. <laughs> Dickens will lend it to you, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he can complain, right? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I don't think I'm going to get like three ghosts visiting me on New Year's Eve. Like, uh, I'm the ghost of copyright infringement. Um, but in all reality, and you know, in all seriousness, the, the word for me is intention. A lot of people want to live the most vivid life possible. A lot of people want to live the most you know, experienced life possible. For me, I want to live the most intentional life possible. I grew up allowing things to happen to me. And I was reacting to things that happened to me. I didn't have control of my life. I merely had control over my reactions. And it took a long time for me to shift that perspective into one where I had control of who I was, and to live less a life of reaction and more a life of intention. The important thing about that is to live an intentional, purposeful life. The one thing that you need is self-reflection and emotional intelligence. And this is why my system and Vero's system are not self-contained. There's massive overlap. You can't have an intentional life without emotional intelligence. You can't know yourself without being in touch with yourself. You have to take the whole and not just the parts. And to use the other kind of analogy we were using, you can't really exist in a vacuum, right? You can't only focus on improving yourself without thinking about how you exist in relation to others because we are social, right? And unless you are a very rare kind of human who lives in complete isolation from other humans, you are a social creature who needs to exist in relationship to others, right? And that's why the, the approach that I take and the focus that I kind of take, and I'm also very passionate about self-improvement, but I always think about that in relation to other people. And that's kind of think what the difference between metriconized approach in broad strokes. But the reason that emotional intelligence is so important here is because it kind of allows you to tap into things like both self-awareness, but then also self-awareness as it kind of comes from reflections of yourself in relation to others. So I often talk about on the show about how comparing yourself to other people is a bad thing, but in some sense, comparing yourself to others can be useful when you're doing it in a very intentional way. And that's when you're actually trying to learn about yourself by reflecting on yourself as you relate to other people. So not putting yourself down from failing to meet up to other people, but rather comparing yourself in the sense of, oh, that person has a very admirable trait. I wonder how I could bring that trait into my own life, right? That type of comparison can be very healthy, very positive. When you're looking to other people you admire and thinking, what's the trait about that person that I would like to encourage more of in myself? That can be super positive, right? Or maybe you think about, man, that guy's really a jerk. Why is it that I think he's a jerk? What is it about his behavior that I really don't like? Do I ever do things like that? How could I behave like that less, right? That's the kind of comparison that can be super helpful and positive, and that actually boosts emotional intelligence. But here's the thing, and this is really, I think, the key to self-reflecting in an emotionally intelligent way, and it's that you have to be willing to be honest with yourself 
and to be non-judgmental towards yourself. That's, I think, the seed of all emotional intelligence is being kind to yourself and realize and being non-judgmental and realizing, you know what, I'm going to be honest with myself and truly try to understand myself and my motivations, even if my motivations aren't always noble and aren't always the things I would tell other people about, right? Because I don't always tell other people what my true motivations are, even if I know what they are. But you should be at least be aware of what your actual motivations are, even if sometimes you're not proud of them, right? Maybe the reason you want to stay home sick today is because you want to jerk off a lot, right? And you're not going to tell everyone that your mom calls. You're not going to, well, I took the day off of work for a personal day, right? You're not going to say, I took the day off so I could jerk off because I've been really horny and I just, I've been pawing the centaurs all day, mom. That's not what you're going to say. But <laughs> you're going to, you know, the thing is you should at least be aware yourself of why you're doing what you're doing, right? Don't tell yourself some kind of elaborate story or lie to, about why you need to do this for yourself, right? Just be honest and say, you know what, I'm really... I'm having this craving. I'll be a lot more productive at work if I can get this out of my system. I'm going to do what makes sense and just focus on the thing that is like completely taking over my mind right now, get it out of my system, and then go back to being a productive human being. Be honest with yourself about that. Even if you're giving other people a socially acceptable answer, right? You should at least be honest with yourself. People get into trouble when they start believing their own lies. And it's a very common thing to do. Believing your own narratives is really dangerous, though, because it detaches you from reality. You end up gaslighting yourself and you can get yourself in some very dark places by doing that. It can make you distrust your own perceptions of reality and it can make you distrust other people as well. So you end up getting into a kind of a pretty unfortunate situation where you're not basing yourself in reality any longer. So being highly emotionally intelligent means being honest with yourself first and foremost. Similarly to what I was talking about in, in kind of metric system, honesty to yourself is super important no matter what kind of reflection you're doing. You know, one of the things that I... I really genuinely feel is that people are not as generous to themselves as they could be. However, generosity should not extend to telling yourself lies. It's kind words aren't always kind once they're spoken or when they're internalized. It is important that you are brutally honest and equally brutally accepting of where you are in life. If you, something that I struggled with was wanting to be better than I was. And rather than identifying where I actually was, I put myself into the shoes of somebody who I thought I should be. And that caused a lot of issues in my life because I was being disingenuous in every action that I took. Tons of people make that mistake, and I made that mistake for years of my life that I wish I could get back because I wasn't living my true, genuine, authentic self. And you know what? This all ties back to our shame series. And if you haven't listened to our shame series, please go back and check out our series on shame where we talk about our, our deep dive into uh, the uh, velvet uh, – what is it called? The velvet, the velvet Rage. Ah, thank you. The Velvet Rage. That's what it's called. Uh, that book is wonderful, but we tried to do a deep dive in three parts on the show. And that – like. What Metrico is talking about is rooted in shame, right? It's, it's shaming oneself for not living up to one's own ideals and being too ashamed to admit who we truly are. And when we do that, we end up not being able to make very much progress, right? Because we're not really admitting what our true problems are. Exactly. It's I understand that everybody has a fear of disappointment and we never want to disappoint ourselves. But there's a difference between being disappointed in where you are and not accepting where you are. It is better to accept you know, I thought I was going to go to college and make all A's and be on the dean's list, but I failed out. 
Where does that leave me? You don't have to think of yourself cruelly and be, I'm a college dropout. That's kind of a cruel way to look at yourself. Um, if you if you do it as a joke, then I mean, go for it. But that shouldn't be your identity. You're still who you are. That just wasn't the path that you were going to take. You might be able to revisit it in the future. But rather than being self-defeatist and saying, well, it's their fault, it's the college's fault, they weren't right... Find what works for you now. If you don't accept where you are, you won't get to where you want to be. You just kind of live in this functionally catatonic state where you go through the motions and you make no progress towards anything. And you find that you get more and more miserable and jaded and bitter because people around you are progressing in their lives and you feel like they're leaving you behind. It's, it's, they are leaving you behind, but it's not because they're running away from you. It's because you're not making any motion at all. So it's important to accept who you are. And again, that takes a brutal amount of honesty. And that can be very hard, especially if, you know, you're, you're in a position where there's not a lot to be proud of. But what I would say is that you can take a certain level of pride in the fact that you recognize where you are. And every journey starts somewhere. And, you know, it's in chess. It doesn't matter what piece you are. You can still take the king. You don't have to start from a great position. You don't have to start from an awful position. All you have to do is recognize where you're starting from and then make the best path available for you. Once you do that, you'll then be able to recognize how that path impacts your own life, and in some cases, more importantly, the lives of those around you. Because if you go about life in kind of a cruel way, you just kind of let the ends justify the means, and you wreak emotional havoc on people that are trying to support you. And that's not a really positive way to live in any way, shape, or form, because again, you isolate yourself. So it's important, you know, as Vera was saying earlier, you look at the role models you have in life. I have a lot of negative role models in my life. I live in New York City. I see a bunch of assholes every goddamn day of the week. I come from a family of racists and bigots. I come from a legacy of hurt. And I'm able to look at the people that I grew up with. I'm able to look at their actions, their mindsets. And I'm able to determine that it is useful for me to be able to identify those behaviors and those thoughts. Because I never want to do that. A lot of people will look at negative people in their life and refuse to analyze them. You have to analyze them. You have to identify what it is about them that you don't like and why you don't like them. Just saying you dislike something isn't a great answer. It's a very basic answer. To live an intentional, purposeful life, you need to elaborate. The reason why people don't like to analyze, why they don't like what they don't like in other people, by the way, Metrico, is because the things you're most likely to not like in others are, generally speaking, projected traits that you actually really hate about yourself and that's why most people really don't want to think about why they don't like the people they don't like. It's often the people who are very similar to them who do the same shit that they aren't proud of that they do. And so 
you often find that when you really analyze the people that are your nemeses, they're often people who have at the very root of it, similar personalities to your own. And so it's kind of important to, despite how uncomfortable it is to think about the things that you hate in other people, it's really important to think about them and then to do the hard work of thinking about when do I do that? When do I do those things? Cause you're going to unfortunately find that you do them, right? Because the reason you don't like those traits, that's your, that's actually your subconscious projecting those things into other people because your brain is like, ah, I hate this, but it, your brain doesn't like thinking bad thoughts about itself. So it ra- would rather think them about other people. So your brain will find some way to get rid of that tension, but it's going to find a way to do that by ragging at somebody else rather than ragging on yourself, right? But it's important to then go back intellectually and think about, you know what, clearly I don't like this type of behavior. I must do this kind of thing too. When do I do this? And then again, be honest with yourself. You know what? I really hate when he can't keep his word. I really hate when he, you know, whatever. Well, guess what? You probably haven't always been honest or truthful, right? Think about the times that you've been deceitful. I'm sure you have. Was it justified? Can you, do you really think it was justified? Could you have done better? Was there a way that you could have handled the situation where you could have been more honest? Maybe you could next time, right? Think about how you could better handle it next time. What could you do differently? How could you engineer the situation to turn out better next time, right? That's how you improve. That's how people actually make that slow, gradual change that makes you a better person over time. That's how you mature. It's how you grow as a person, right? It's this process of self-reflection. Some people just naturally do it and don't need to be this intentional about it. But I don't know. I have kind of a little bit of of the kind of brain that really likes to go through routines and kind of go through checklists like Metrica was talking about. And I like to think about these kinds of things before I go to sleep at night. I like to think about what during my day could could I have done better? Where where did I lack intentionality in my actions? This is actually a huge focus for me. And I'm not going to focus on everything else. Uh, There's an article that was actually... A really good one that I, I was kind of sourcing things from that Life Less put up, but it kind of broke things down into four categories self awareness, awareness of others, social skills, and self management. And I'm kind of focusing on the self management part because it kind of fits in better with what Metrico is talking about. But you can go back and read the article if you're interested in, in reflecting on some of those other areas. I'll touch on a few of them, uh, the rest of them in a bit. But the self management is super important, I think, because it gets back to what Metrico is talking about in terms of intentionality, right? So self-management is really this idea of identifying your reactions to events and how you feel about them as a way to hone your responses to things that happen to you in the future. And it really comes down to impulsivity. And when you're having a reactions that you kind of base in your own emotion, emotional response and that you're doing it as an impulse rather than things that you're thinking about and planning rationally and intentionally, right? So when are you acting on impulse and when are you acting on kind of intent? And it's important to recognize when your actions are being sourced from one of those two places, right? Because that's really where most actions come from. There are things that you set out and plan to do. You wake up in the morning and think, you know what? I'm going to study for my calculus exam for two hours today. And then you do that thing, right? That's an intentional action. But maybe 30 minutes into studying for calculus, you get a call from your friend who says, hey, I got two slices of pizza left over in my fridge. I need help come and finish this pizza with me and you go help your friend finish their pizza right so now you took a lunch break in the middle of your of your studying you should be honest with yourself you know what i was impulsive there and i didn't do what i said i was going to do which was study for two hours i went and took a break and ate some pizza maybe you came back and finished the studying and you can say you know what that was an impulsive decision but i i kind of i got to see a friend i hadn't seen in a couple weeks and we, we talked about you know my breakup and that was really you know maybe that was really good for me and, you know, I, I got to talk to them about, you know, console them about the grandma passing away. And so it was a really good emotional situation. And I, I really built an important relationship to me. And I still got the studying done. 
So ultimately, no harm, no foul. I'm happy with how I was impulsive in that situation. I made a good decision. I should I should remember to respond to social situations like that again in the future. That turned out well, right? You can try to learn from that. Maybe though, you think, you know what? I never got back to my studying and I, I didn't do as well on that exam as I thought I was going to do. And I probably shouldn't have taken that break right then. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. I should have, I, knowing myself now better for next time, I need to get better at resisting the, the urge to be impulsive in that situation so I can focus on my studies better, right? Because what's important to me right now is my grades and the socializing needs to wait because my grade is suffering. I didn't really have that time to lose, right? You can do the exact same actions and conclude very different things from them based on the impact that you observe those actions having in your life, right? But all of that depends on you accurately and honestly assessing the impact of your actions on the reality and the people around you and yourself, right? You have to access, you have to know what's happening and then be able to honestly assess that. And then you can alter your future behavior to improve outcomes in the future. But you have to be honest about assessing those things. And again, recognize when impulsivity is not always a bad thing, right? And being impulsive can be good. But you have to recognize when it's bad and when it's good and try to figure out when is the right time to turn on that impulsivity and spontaneity in your life, right? So one of the things that if you break it down to different terms, what are the cause and effect? So if it was using the same analogy, if you're taking a test and you're trying to study for it, you know, what is the effect of that test? Uh, did you do well? Did you not do well? What caused you to do that? Was it you studying? Was it you taking breaks from studying, not studying at all? And then I find what's useful is to identify what I would do differently, what I would do more of, what I would change or what would stay the same. And I, I find that in my life, when I ask myself those questions, I'm able to sort of drill in the things that work best for my life in order to keep myself on the best footing possible. And the thing is, all this stuff requires extremely high self-knowledge. And that's where Metrico's kind of self-reflection comes in handy, right? Because you have to know your, for yourself what's going to work for you. And that's going to be different for every individual person. And what might be best for one person in a situation might not be best for you based on your own personality and your own experiences and what you need, right? But you have to know your own needs and wants and what works for you. Again, that exact same situation could play out two very different ways for two different people, right? If you're more extroverted, maybe you taking that break to socialize gave you a huge mood boost that then made you way more focused and engaged with your studying the rest of the night. And you just rocked that exam the next day because you had a great interaction with your friend and you rebuilt that connection. You felt awesome about that. And man, you just wanted to take on the world studying for that test and you just aced it the next day, right? But maybe you're an introvert and, you know, st actually studying, taking that break to see your friend was actually kind of anxious for you. And that was tough. And you felt really drained afterwards and you had trouble focusing and you didn't sleep very well because you weren't sure if your friend really liked seeing you or not. And you actually, you kind of feel like you, maybe you were awkward during, during lunch and, oh man, I'm not sure if that went well or not. And you kind of can't stop thinking about it. And you're not sure if the friend wants to see you again. And you aren't sure how long you wait to talk to them again. And you're obsessing over it. So maybe you're the type of person whose social interaction is actually really draining and stressful. If that's the case, then maybe taking that break to socialize right then and just and kind of derailing yourself from focusing on your studies wasn't the right call. Maybe you needed to save socializing for a time when you were less stressed, right? So you again, that requires self-knowledge. Two people, the exact same thing can happen. They make that decision to go take a break and, and socialize. For the person who's hyper-social, who that's a good thing for, that can be a positive effect on their, on their exam, right? But for the person who that's not necessarily easy to do, 
that can be a negative effect. So you have to know yourself to know which action is the right one to take. And it's a self-reflection that we're talking about that lets you know those things, right? You can't possibly know which type of person you are if you haven't taken the time to think about it, right? Well, you know, another good way that the article kind of goes into it is through self-awareness, which you touched on as well. And I find that, especially for me, it's important to sort of keep track of my intentions and my actual actions and behaviors. So something that people who who might journal for self-awareness, you might write about your feelings. How did you feel throughout the day? And how did you act on those feelings? And whether or not those actions were congruent with your behaviors. Some people might feel a certain way. They might feel anxious about going to a party. They might feel anxious about going to that break and studying and this hypothetical test exam that we're talking about. And by looking at how your behaviors sort of are impacted by your feelings, you can sort of determine whether or not you're acting impulsively or not. If you know that you need to study and you act in a way that's kind of opposite from how you're feeling, then you're able to gain a little bit of self-awareness and you realize, okay, I really didn't like doing that. And it really made me feel awful. I felt guilty. I beat myself up. So your new level of self-awareness incorporates that when it's time to study, it's time to fucking study and you don't take breaks because otherwise you beat yourself up over the, over that and you perform poorly on the test because you still feel awful. So that, that I think that's a really great way to sort of take stock and how you do things and how you feel things and how you act out on those feelings, because otherwise you're just, again, you're kind of living in this sort of listless, aimless fashion. Um, something that I do for myself and the article touches on it as well is I, I, I have a mental log and I, I don't actually write this down because I don't find it to be too necessary of what my strengths and weaknesses are, my limitations. I know that I'm really good at public speaking. I know that I'm really good at talking for a long time, as evidenced by the near 11 days of audio that is feral attraction. I know what my strengths are when it comes to acting and working alongside other people. And I know what my weaknesses are. I'm great at following and giving direction, but I'm not that great when it comes to people not following those directions. So by knowing where my weaknesses are, I'm able to shore them up. If somebody just doesn't do what they need to do, what can I do on my end to compensate for that? How can I make sure that my response isn't explosive? Because that used to be the case. You know, if somebody, if I ask somebody to clean the house, do their chores. And I came home and nobody did that. Just, you know, from inside out, I'm exploding everywhere. I'm Lewis Black, you know, flames from sides of my face. (laughs) By knowing where my strengths are, I can work on building those up even further because just because something is strong doesn't mean that it stays strong. If you don't work a muscle, if you don't work yourself out, If you're strong, you get weak over time. It's entropy. It's a fabulous thing. It's a law of the universe. 
You have to keep using skills to keep them strong and building them up to keep yourself stronger. But you can also do a good job of knowing your weaknesses and not letting those be a vulnerability to your life. Because all too often you can be strong in 99 different ways and impervious to bullets, but everybody has an Achilles heel. Like there's a reason it's called an Achilles heel. It's because Achilles, you know, got dipped in the water and then pew, 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 and then he died. So you don't want your weaknesses to be these glowing bright spots that people know that they can use to manipulate you and to make you do things that you don't want to do. It might be anger. For some people, it's guilt. For some people, it's a sad story. For some people, it's feeling kind of lecherous. Some people act out of lust, greed, other seven deadly sins. It's important to recognize what your weakness is. You have all multiple. Everybody has weaknesses. And not beat yourself up over them. You might not have or be the most motivated person in the world. Like, you know, I, I mean, I'm not. But by finding ways that you can offset that, you can motivate yourself. And that's a very important thing. It's a very, you know, it, it, self-awareness is so critical in interacting with other people. Because again, if you're not living a genuine life, they're not meeting the genuine you. Always be true to yourself. And the more honest you are to yourself, and you don't need to shout it from every street corner that you encounter that, you know, I lack motivation. You don't need to do that. Like there's, there's no need to broadcast them. You don't need to put them on Twitter or Facebook. You might find somebody that can hold you accountable. That's what some people do, especially if they don't trust themselves from the start. And that's perfectly fine. But you don't need to broadcast your weaknesses. You need to work on improving them. Talking isn't work. Do work. Alongside all of these, you have the ability to build up your social skills and your awareness of others. When you reflect on yourself and how you are, you can reflect on how you interact with other people, what, how your relationships are with them. What roles do you play in those relationships? How do you feel about the relationships, your roles and the relationships? What works? What doesn't work? How can you change them? How do you interact with these people? When you interact with them, how do you do that? Are you tensed up and looking for a fight? Are you laid back and chill as a cucumber? How can you improve each relationship? How much do you want to improve each relationship? How much does that require from you? When you take agency of your actions and how they impact other people, that's the only way you can gain understanding on how to improve those interactions. And it is so important that we constantly take stock in these things. And this is everybody. This isn't just you at work. This isn't just you at home. This is how you interact with the cashier when they ring up your order incorrectly. This is how you interact with the person on the train that's being loud and annoying. Who are you? What do you want to be? What do you want to be to other people? 
are those two congruent? You can't be a hero if you're awful to everybody in your life. It's kind of the definition of a villain. You have to bring your own wants and your own desires for your life, the actualizations you've made in your life, and bring them to a congruent stance that complements how you act with other people. And that's what takes a lot of work. For a lot of us, especially in the queer community, we're so used to being villainized. We're so used to being the punchline. It's hard to sort of think outside of that. It's hard. It was hard for me to show any form of compassion to, oh, look, another religious person lost their, oh, no, they've lost everything. Why should I care? If you don't care about the people in your life, no matter how large a role that they play, you sort of lose an element of compassion and you lose the element of humanity that really makes us work as a group. When we stop caring about other people in our lives, we begin, we, we enter the realm of a sociopath. The ends don't always justify the means. We can't act out of unilateral harm towards others to better ourselves. For better or for worse, we live in a communal society. This is a populist society. And with the multitude of ideas and hopes and dreams and ambitions, we should never take the opportunity to step on somebody's neck to get a step ahead. It's all too easy when you look at things from a stance that I do to forget the fact that people matter more than drive and ambition because you can become your drive can be to become the king of everything. But if you kill everybody to get there, you're the king of nothing. If you don't have people in your life that help you get up when you fall down, because you've chased them away out of your blind ambition, you're still not living an intentional life. Your goals might have meaning, but your execution is flawed beyond belief. We don't exist in a vacuum. Planning doesn't exist in a vacuum. Emotions, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, it all goes hand in hand. We are an intersectional race of humans. The fandom is an intersectional group of individuals from all walks of life. Relationships, whether they're with your family, your friends, your spouse, your spouses, whatever they might be to you. It is so important that we think about how we impact the lives of other people and what we are willing to do to keep them in our lives. By developing these skills, you gain empathy. That's a question we often get asked. How do you develop empathy? You have to ask yourself how you would improve each relationship that you have in your life and what that requires from you. When you ask yourself what you're willing to sacrifice, 
it's so much easier to see the sacrifices that other people make for you. And it's easier to see the sacrifices they make for the people in their lives and the hurt that they go through and the pain and the struggle. It all becomes real and tangible. It takes work. Feral Attraction Season 2 was about the work that we put into relationships. How do we communicate our needs and desires? How do we overcome our own shortcomings? And how do we build a network of trust? This is it. The reason that we do th- we, we, we did this episode for last is because this is the final exam in a way. A lot of people give us the feedback that, well, you say to improve my life, but I don't know how to do that. That's, that's a valid point. You need to work on yourself. You need to love yourself before you love anybody else. These are all wonderful catchphrases that are on coffee mugs and t-shirts available all around the world. But how do you do it? Hopefully, we've given you some ideas of where you can get started. It's a lot of work. But it is work worth doing to live a life of intention, both for yourselves and for the people in your life. We're going to end the show there. That's uh, that's season two of Feral Attraction, everybody. Hope you enjoyed. <laughs> we're, uh, we're not ending with the question because we feel that this is a good way to end. We still want to give our shout outs to our patrons, but I do hope that in some way, shape or form, what we've been able to cover, not just today, but throughout this entire year has given you some form of new insight or reinforced ideas that you've already held in your life. This is, as Fiero said at the top of the show, this is a labor of love that he and I do on a weekly basis. We're recording the show now. We're going to finish the recording soon. I have to edit the show, and it is up, all within the space of 24 hours. <laughs> we work to try to put... We, we, we quite genuinely, I think, in this episode, poured our heart and soul into it because these are things that we do ourselves and have changed and impacted our lives and made us better people for it. And we hope that in 2018, if you haven't begun to take the steps to, to live an intentional, purposeful life, that you'll be able to. And if you have people in your life that can support you as you make that journey, whether they're your family, your friends, your spouse, your mates, whatever they might be, We hope that they are there to support you and you're there to support them as everybody works together to better our lives and the lives of those around us. Again, we will be taking a two-week break. We'll be back mid-January and that's going to be episode 98. We have a lot of things planned And I really hope that you enjoy the direction that we take and the new year. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have concerns, anything for the good of the order, 
you can reach out to us on our contact page, feralattraction.com slash contact. So many ways to get into touch with us, whether it's through phone, through email, however you might choose to get into touch with us. We love to hear from you. If it's criticism, great. We welcome it. Labors of love require reinforcement. We require looking at what we're doing in order to ensure that we're doing it in the best way possible. You'll find other information there, how to get in touch with our Telegram group, how to follow us on our various social medias, and also if you feel so inclined to subscribe to us on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store to leave us maybe a rating or a review there, again, if you feel so inclined. And if you're generous, as they say on the grinder, you might consider being a patron of ours on Patreon. We have a lot of donation tiers that you can be part of. Our Patreon money goes towards funding the show, funding the website, funding our research, funding our equipment. It helps us to keep this as cost-neutral as possible in terms of finances. And we appreciate everybody who contributes or has contributed to us in the past. One of our tiers is at the end of every show, we give shout-outs. One such patron of ours is Miss Hyde. Miss Hyde participated in a run around the London Zoo, which recently had a fire, and it was not very good. Some animals did not make it. What she participated in was a streak for tigers, though. And it was a fundraiser that happened back in August to raise funds for the protection and conservation of the habitats of tigers in the wild. If you want more information on what she did, I mean, she ran around naked around the London Zoo. That's pretty fucking awesome. But if you want more information on how to contribute to her GoFundMe, I'm sorry, Just Giving, rather, not GoFundMe, Just Giving campaign, you can find that information in our show notes. Or you can visit her website, uh, Twitter account rather, which is at Hannah Sparks. That's like an anaconda with a H in front of it. Hannah Sparks. You like putting an H in the middle of cuckolding last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Yes, yes, yes. That was mea culpa, everybody. Um, I got called out because I accidentally typoed cuckolding instead of cuckolding. Um, thank you for bringing that you know, to my you, you can hold the cuck during aftercare but not otherwise yeah well thank you for bringing <laughs> that to my attention that was very very quickly updated when i was i thought it was good to most people i think yeah the the error of my ways was brought to my attention and i got 40 lashes from vero um it's it not as hot. erotic as you think everybody it was for me it was good for me it wasn't good for him oh my god Another one of our patrons is Snares. Snares is an amazing artist. If you love macro growth, muscle furs, you would probably be really interested in his Patreon. You can go there. to It's a one-stop site for commissions, art information, and also his ongoing webcomic that you can subscribe to updates for just a dollar a day. That's at patreon.com forward slash snares. Or maybe you're in the mood for some literary works. Well, Zarpolis has your back. If you're interested in furry and high-tech or sci-fi, then you would probably be interested in the Para-Imperium universe that 
he has written. Um, he actually has uh, published a book with the Thirst and Hell Press that is titled The Pride of Parahumans, and you can check it out on their website or maybe on Amazon, or maybe consider looking at his Patreon as well, patreon.com slash czarpolis. Or maybe you just want a new friend on Twitter or a new YouTube to subscribe to. Myron is there for you. You can be a friend of his on Twitter at Myron the Fluffy. Plenty of updates about, you know, daily red panda dog ramblings, whatever you might, you know, have your interest piqued by. He also has a YouTube that goes over the fandom and video games and all sorts of geeky, fun, high-tech stuff. You can find a link to that in our show notes as well. Our show notes, as always, are linked in the description of every show. That's it for us for this year. We hope that even if your 2017 was awful, that 2018 for you is a year that is fulfilled with the love and laughter of those in your life. Until then, when we record next, I'm Metrico. I'm Vera the Science Collie. Be well.